All right, Rio, uh, we're having you back on three right turns. It's it's great to have you back on, by the way. Um, oh, because you know, you, you guys, you and Corey recently broke up on moving forward. Um, I'm going to be going on moving forward. And I mean, the plan is in some kind of recurring rotational role with uh, other uh, liberal and progressive hosts. Um, but I thought, you know, I, we, we talked about Corey or we talked. I talked to Corey last time about, um, you know, our concerns uh, with how progressives can work with um you know, centrist Republicans or how we can reform the Democratic Party or perhaps the Republican Party. Um, and it, it seems that a lot of this, you know, hesitation on, on uh, Corey's standpoint and the stuff that I've felt, too, when I've listened to Moving Forward podcast and, and seen you interact on social media is that there's just seems like this just utter disdain for social to any kind of talk about socialism in fact i think you've said that that should be outside the bounds of what's accepted conversation in political thought and it's frustrating because i feel like one of the reasons we're so far behind europe in terms of our social safety nets and programs um you know healthcare, for example is because we did purge all the socialists um and and labor uh, out of American politics uh, in the second wave of Red Scare McCarthyism. And we didn't have anyone, you know, making those stands for the left and for, for labor. So what you had is you had centrist arguing with extreme right people, and that defined the bounds of our political conversation. So we ended up in, you know, Trump Trump land because the, the right always pulled right, the center couldn't hold, and we just marched rightward. Uh, so that's kind of like if, if and, and if we're going to continue to kind of like say that socialism, we can't have anyone that describes themselves as socialist or socialist curious, uh, curious or like wants to critique capitalism uh, or wants to critique, um, you know, private property, things like that, the, the foundations of it. I think we'll have more of the same, like we'll get rid of Trump, which is great, but we'll eventually end up in a configuration where we have perhaps a smarter Trump or a more competent Trump. And that would be very bad. Um, so have I got, I mean, I, I guess, have I got it wrong or maybe did we have a misunderstanding of terms here? Um, you know, what, what's, what, what's, what's your response to, to that manifesto, shall we say? <laughs> the first thing I would say is I definitely did not mean to imply that people shouldn't be allowed to debate issues. Um, I'm definitely, I'm a pretty much a free speech absolutist. I think people should be free to talk about anything they want. Kind of like, I think if people support, you know, fascism and Nazism, they have a right to talk about that. But that doesn't mean that I want one of our major parties endorsing it. You see the difference? Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So that's the first thing to say about that. So just to clear that up, I definitely, I think you said in your conversation with Corey or someplace, I heard you say, does Rio want to make me, make me stop my podcast? Does he want to turn off my microphone? So no, I definitely don't want to do that. <laughs> and in fact, I, I had, I don't know if you saw, I recently had a self-identified communist on moving forward. Um, and he's going to be one of the recurring guest stars. And I'm actually getting the impression that you might be yourself significantly to the left of Corey. Um, although more amenable to conversation with people like me about topics like socialism. So um, that might actually be really healthy and interesting for both of our listeners. 
for us to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's hard for me to determine who's more left or like once you get to places where, you know, like, like Corey's at, like I, I, you know, I, I definitely know there's people to the left of me for sure. Um, and there's people decidedly more authoritarian than me for damn sure. Um, but like, I, 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 that's, that's something I was kind of, because I thought I was more to the left of Corey, but then he came on three right turns with a ball of fire you know, pacing his studio box like a caged tiger. And I'm like, damn, man, maybe this guy, he's maybe he's got, got it on me a couple places. But um, well, he's definitely filled with righteous rage. Um, and as am I, as should we all be in this political moment. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, for example, Corey, part of the reason he doesn't want to talk to me about the issue of socialism is because he's convinced that there is absolutely no such thing as any socialist influence in the Democratic Party. Um, and I kind of understand how he might think that living in, you know, a red state or a swing state, but in blue states where the Republican Party is now essentially a, a third party, the mm -hmm. Democratic Party has split into at least two factions. There's the side I call the liberal party, um, which is the more right wing part of the Democratic Party. And then there's the neo-Marxist party, which is the left wing part of the Democratic Party. And that's very real and alive. Yeah, I, I I would say that that's true. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I had a feeling you would. Yeah, like, you said you're a member of the the Democratic Socialists of America. Yeah, I mean, I yes, this is where like I describe myself. Okay, I describe myself as socialist curious because <laughs> um, <laughs> I recognize obviously how much capitalism has done, how much market forces has done to lift the world out of poverty, but I also see where you know, capitalism has done a lot to harm us here in the country and harm people around the world. And it's, it's actually astonishing if you, um, you know, Marx's writing is what, 150 years old at this point. And there's definitely been, you know, it's one of the frustrations of people that just are Marx, 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 Marx. It's like, you know, socialist thought has moved a lot, uh, just as, you know, capitalist thought has. And, and since the days of, uh, uh, shit, um, Adam Smith, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, definitely. Yeah, Milton Friedman was a, a bit of an up upgrade from Adam Smith. <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, there's there's definitely been movements. But even when you saw, talk about neo-Marxists, like I don't know because I've never been lucky enough to live in a blue state. Uh, I've been cursed to walk <laughs> the, the red states of, of uh, uh, the, the Midwest. But when you say neo-Marxist in like California – are we talking like at the state representative level? And, and because like, I don't think people that are card carrying members, for example, of the DSA are necessarily neo Marxists. Um, they're sure. They're sure. There's a lot of them. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, are, and is Marxist bad or is, or is like, is Marxist Leninist bad is, you know, like uh, I, I would say that when you start getting a Marxist Leninism, that's where you start getting into the authoritarian. Certainly when you start talking like up Mao, uh, you start getting into authoritarianism, um, and that that is definitely something worrisome. And like I said, I think people should be free to debate the merits of that in an open society, but I would certainly want to purge that kind of stuff out of a democratic party. So when you say neo-Marxist, mm -hmm. like, can you give me some examples? Because I might even have to do some some research on people's policies and standings. But Well, like, one, one, one philosophical distinction between um, Marxism and neo-Marxism is that Marxism was decidedly modernist and was significantly more rational and pro-science, whereas neo-Marxism has a um, decidedly post-modernist bend and a very 
uh, morally relativist bend, which just which differences it from Marxism significantly. So you're saying that like because um, uh, because honestly, man, when I hear like uh, um, postmodernist thrown around in political discussion, I, I kind of cover my hand in my wallet and reach for my gun. Uh, <laughs> Because that can mean so many things to many different people. But what you're saying is like, because I think a lot of people don't understand Marx because what he was saying, and this is why I, I, a lot of Marxists are lazy asses when it comes to politics, are that socialism and communism will inevitably follow yep. capitalism because what you'll do is you'll get so much productivity power from this from the the automation will just continue foresaw that this just inc- continue to increase and that that prediction has been borne out to where you will be able to have this vast labor class that is no longer needed yet the capitalists need them to buy things so the only the only way to resolve that dialect is or that 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 that, um, that that those two forces in opposition within the system is to reform it into some socialist. So the labor actually has some say in the means of production and can reap more of the benefits of the fruits of that labor. And thus, you can still have people pu- buying things and selling things, and the system won't collapse upon itself. And he thought that. Socialism would be a natural occurring. It wouldn't be a revolution that sweeps a country. It would be as a result of literacy being 100%, standards of education being high, automation being high, and everyone in this enlightened state would be like, you know what? Why are we still doing this labor exploitation? Why are we enduring riots in the streets when we could just fairly divide this stuff? And it would be a democratic thing. Um, and he, you know, obviously, Marx didn't have an opinion on trans people. Uh, so. Yeah, well- well, as as you said, uh, Marx is rather outdated in a lot of ways. I think that he had um, some valid criticisms to make of capitalism, and um, his contributions are one of the reasons that we don't actually have any purely capitalist societies today, um, because liberals um, who are pro-capitalism by definition took um, Marx's critiques seriously and wanted to stave off um, the death of capitalism by creating what um, political scientists called social liberalism, which is a uh, hybrid of socialism and liberalism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's part. So that's another another thing to clarify. There is that um, I definitely don't agree with your analysis of the U.S. political spectrum. Um, on the one hand, it is certainly true that it is. Well, before, I'm sorry. Before we move on, I just want to complete this circuit because yep. you're right. Liberals did take a look at what was happening in the Gilded Age and all of the you know the the forces of darkness arising in Europe and America yep. and kind of seeing like, oh God, this is a bad. We need to reform and we need to start in putting some social you know, democratic policies in that's how, you know, the United States got social security. That's how Europe post-World War II got, you know, national health care. But the, the problem with that is Marx also predicted is unless you actually completely go, you know, quote unquote, all the way to socialism, that capitalism will find a way to fight every one of those advances back. And I feel like the last 30 years has been that story where we have relentlessly cracked down on labor unions. We have reduced and and weakened their social safety nets because there's money to be made in it. And as long as there's money to be made in a capitalist system, the money will flow in that direction. And you can put as many reforms and, uh, 
corrections as you want into that system, the system will fight back. Like we are not even 12 years away from the complete collapse of our housing markets. Right. Um, and yet we, it, it's most of the reforms that were put in place to prevent something like that happen again has been largely torn up. At least it seems to me when I was buying a house for the last time, they're back to wanting people to buy way more house than they can afford. They're all back to like putting zero, almost zero down on interest. They're not nearly as diligent about confirming people's incomes and stuff. So like, I, I feel like that. Yes. It feels like you're taking a lot of credit for the work of like labor and socialists that has then been undone just the way Marx predicted it would be in the last 30 years. Um, but and, and it I really hasn't, that. though. That's the thing. So okay. that's what I was about to say is that um, while it is certainly true that the U.S. Overton window is to the right of uh, most other liberal democracies, it's also significantly to the left of of anything that you could characterize as properly right wing, or certainly that you could characterize as, as far right. So I want to make a distinction. I don't consider the alt right um, a synonym for far right for a number of reasons. Um, the fact that uh, national socialism is hostile to free trade capitalism being chief among them. Um, but what we have in the United States is we have a social safety net that is rather robust. Um, we have uh, lower um, levels of actual poverty than existed throughout most of human history, as in other liberal democracies, although admittedly higher here, right? But I mean, we have welfare, we have social security, we have Medicare. I mean, none of those things would exist in a purely liberal system. Those are all compromises with socialism. And so to, to say that we're, you know, we're right wing and that, you know, the left has no power <clears throat> is to get things backwards, if you ask me. Well, but here's the thing. Um, we just had a president try to defund Social Security through an executive weeks ago. And the Republican Party just released their platform for the governance for the next four years. And they said, essentially, it's rubber stamping Donald Trump. So like, yeah, yeah, try. We have systems put in place where people can't do that. But when you say things like, you know, rise of national socialists. And I look at like what Tuck Tucker Carlson, you know, he's the number one rated TV show uh, when it, we're talking about cable news. And you start talking about his rhetoric where he is starting to, you know, do this populist anti-corporation. They don't care about you. They're stealing yeah. from you. It's just that, oh, boy, we would love to have these things. But man, with all these waves of immigration and these people don't pay their own weight and these this underclass that we're kind of stuck with, boy, it's almost like we need some kind of nationalist focused socialism. Um, yeah. I, I think that like, where is, where is the top rated or even modest in the top 100 rated cable show where socialists are talking about um, the solutions to, cause the, the thing I, I talk about a lot on three right turns is you go to a neo-Nazi and they can accurately describe the problems that we're having with this country. It's just that their prescriptions are insane. You know, well, they I mean, I, I would, I would, I would argue that they're not accurately describing them. I mean, for one thing, they're not, uh, they're not getting they're convinced the that right. their problems are the fault of immigrants and foreign labor, and most job losses a consequence part. of automation. So they don't right, really but, know but what they're talking about. 
but you're skipping to the prescriptive part. They can tell you what the problems are. They can tell you that like, you know, jobs are gone, that, uh, you know, that the wealth is being ever more increasingly put into the hands of the top 0.1% and the bottom 90% are getting pilfered. Um, they can talk about their own communities and how there's drugs and there's crime. Um, it's just that they always blame immigrants. They blame global trade. They do like, and then the prescription thus, they don't understand. Whereas they should blame the evil capitalists. Yes, broadly speaking, because I mean, that's the problem with the fact of liberalism, for example, it's there's nothing wrong with global trade. I think global trade is a good thing. The problem is you had a bunch of liberal Democrats presiding over the global trade reformation in the last 40, 50 years, and they are avowed capitalists, as you say, and they that means that private property is sacrosanct and people that work hard and benefit and blah, 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 all that stuff. So when we saw the factory shutting down, well, that's going to come across in lower prices. When Walmart started taking across the country, well, that's going to be good for the worker because it's 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 lower prices. If you had a socialist or labor party being like, but who's going to buy the shit? You, you you crazy people, you might have had a little pushback on this and be like, oh, yeah, we might have had something like UBI um, a decade or two earlier. We might have had like national health care that would be financed through this because it is generating extraordinarily wealth, right? Like global trade definitely puts the accelerator on the wealth creation. It's just that wealth is not being distributed to where it needs to go um, in society. Well, and- that depends on whether or not you are a nationalist. If you look at global poverty, it's extremely low. Uh, glo- globalism has has raised billions of people out of poverty in the third world, and you know that's that's because of offshoring jobs. Right, but like even then, they're not fully like these people that are the beneficiaries of U.S. companies and European companies coming and take advantage of their low rape, labor rates. Yes, they are getting a few pennies and nickels and and dimes um, going into their economies. But the way to build a robust economy um, in a developing nation is not like what they've done in like Mexico and what they've done in China. It's much more like what they've done in Korea, where, you know, they had strong national protections until they had industries that are actually strong and competitive. And then they're leashed on the two, you know, we've got uh, Hyundai and, and, you know, what, what are the other you know, Samsung is, you know, one of the leaders in, in the, the world. Whereas if you have like, you know, Microsoft or Apple creating chips and stuff in China, China doesn't, you know, it's like, yeah, their, their, their labors get paid and the, the fat cats on top make a lot of money, but like they're not building the, the, the kind of national industry and stuff that they would, if they would kept that stuff, you know, that they, they did develop that stuff within their countries until they were strong they had their, their own strong independent corporations that could then stand up in global trade. What it is, is like, we just exported the labor. Well, I mean, there are definitely problems with the Chinese government, which is run by the Communist Party and is deeply authoritarian and just highly disrespectful of their citizens' rights. I mean, if you could no just... disagreement there. Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. And um, in, in fact, if it would be in humanity's interest for liberal democracies to get together and cut out all non-liberal democracies from global trade as a way of using soft power to influence them, to force them to democratize. That would be a really good positive thing that I would support. But of course, that's, that that would, that's more likely to work than a unilateral trade war, which is just stupid. 
Right. So why don't you think that stuff ever happens? And I my my answer is because we don't really have a leftist labor party that pushes back against the two parties, which are essentially, you know, r- rugged individual capitalism and rugged individual capitalism light. OK, yeah. I mean, I don't want to overstate the case, but um, I, I, I actually definitely do think that the Democratic establishment certainly on trade and foreign policy, is actually to the right of the new Republican Party. That's one of the reasons why I'm not a Republican anymore. But that doesn't mean that the Democratic establishment is all that far right-wing. I mean, they're talking about raising taxes. They're talking about expanding Medicare so that it becomes – so there's essentially a public option, a Medicare-like public option Joe Biden now supports. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, I that's mean- pretty progressive. And and it, it happened because Bernie, who is a democratic socialist, um, got a lot of political wins, you know, in the last few election cycles. And you've had a couple other, you know, uh, people like uh, AOC um, rising to national prominence, questioning kind of like the tenets of the things that we have kind of gone along with in the last 30 years. Yeah, and I, I support, I, I should be clear, I mean, yeah, I, um, I support all <laughs> kinds of consensus compromise positions, um, but my my I, I my approach to how you thread that needle um, is informed by uh, a, a concern that if we do allow things to move too far toward the socialist side, there are downsides of that as well. Uh, so, like for example, that's why I pre- prefer a UBI over a federal jobs guarantee. Uh, not that I'm opposed to actual jobs programs like the one Biden's going to be doing. Uh, I'm just opposed to the idea that like everybody should be owed a job and that they can't be fired from it. I think that would be a disaster. But uh, so, so what I'm saying is we are so we're you're, you're agreeing with me that we're seeing a leftward march in the Democratic Party, although it's fighting it, kicking and screaming, it seems. Uh, and in large part, I actually I want to back up because I don't agree with a lot of my leftist compadres that the Democratic Party is kick, fighting it, kicking and screaming it's more that the electorate itself um, or the yeah, electorate. Th- please thank up. you for pointing that out, because I do consider it. I mean, if you, if you think about it, it's it's actually quite racist, especially when white lefties say that the only reason black people voted for Joe Biden is because they've been brainwashed by the evil mainstream media. Yeah, of course. It's it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, no, they were voters who chose Joe Biden. <laughs> and, and the, you know, if if the young leftist cohort that is very, you know, progressive would show up and vote a few election cycles, then shoo, well, we'd have something. But what I'm saying is like what Corey and I have noticed is it seems like um, – you would want to push out people like Bernie Sanders and Alexander Ocasio-Cortez from the party or limit them. You know, you, you'd like to see them defeated electorally. And, and and I just come back to the premise of this. Like, if we do that, because, again, I agree when you say if things get too socialist, things get fucked. I don't agree with that. I think that if things get too socialist and then also authoritarian things get fucked because you know um things get too capitalist authoritarians things get screwed up as well um so like i don't know like is would you say the same thing about the other direction if things got too capitalist you know things get wobbly well, so it depends, like, it depends on what well i mean it kind of depends on on how you define capitalism Um, I consider capitalism as essentially what happens when the, um, the, the state and business are separate. I I think of it like, like the wall between church and state, essentially when the state and business are separate, that's capitalism. And so by that definition, I don't 
really think it's possible to have authoritarian capitalism. You do need a state um, to safeguard property rights and so forth, but they shouldn't be, you know, running businesses or telling businesses how to run themselves. That would be real capitalism. We don't have anything like that. Like when you had the days of the company store, the coal miners uh, and the coal mining companies essentially owning their employees, that's not. No, that's more like feudalism. Capitalism. No, that's more like feudalism. That was actually one of the reasons why um, the Enlightenment, um, which uh, championed modern science and capitalism and so forth, it's part mm-hmm. of the reason they did it, right? It was to free the peasants from feudalism, to give them the ability to save their own money and to build wealth and capital, right? If you want to talk about wage slavery, that would be socialism, where you, you're, you're told by the government what you're going to do, and if you don't do it, you don't get the housing, you don't get the food, and everybody gets the same amount, regardless of how productive you actually are. That that that's uh, That sounds to me much more like slavery than... Than capitalism, which freed people and allowed them to actually become independent. But these things I'm talking about, where you know you had corporations owning people and employees, and if you want to talk about like some of the stuff that Ford and Edison got up to on their like rubber tree plantations and stuff, like where it's like more even explicit slavery, those did arise under capitalism, and the only thing that keeps capitalism from devolving to that seems like it's government interference. Like, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, have you read Stephen Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now? Uh, He's the Harvard evolutionary psychologist. Um, I would highly recommend you read it because, um, in my opinion, rather than trying to debate you know, how much progress has been made and, 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 and such... Um, I'd recommend you just look at that because he outlines tons and tons and tons and tons of evidence for massive amounts of progress that have happened since the Enlightenment, that it would be almost impossible to overstate um, the amount that human life has improved. The problem with that is the Enlightenment happened concurrently with the Industrial Revolution. And a lot of things that well, sure, because it made the Industrial Revolution possible through its philosophy. Oh, bullshit. China was inv- inventing gunpowder before and, 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 and automation before anybody like, – like, you're acting like that there wasn't science and invention and progress before the Enlightenment happened. And I'm not taking away from the things that happened in the Enlightenment. I'm just saying that like, whenever I see people making these broad gestures to look how much more wealth the, 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 the world has – pre-enlightenment, post-enlightenment, I say, well, yeah, but look at the crazy amount of, of automation. Like one dude sitting in a tractor can do the work of a hundred peasants um, in an afternoon. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, yeah. I mean, I'm, like, that is definitely the fruits of modern science. I'm not denying that there were there was proto-scientific things going on. I mean, there were proto-scientific things happening in ancient Rome. Right. But, uh, but what I'm saying but, is... So but but like human being, humanity didn't really take off until the enlightenment in terms of its quality of life. And China was very far behind the curve on that. So, but we're we're back again after 200 plus years of enlightenment. And then this is the thing that like why I'm socialist curious, because it seems like we have invented a neo-feudalism where an obscene amount of wealth is hoarded by a tiny fraction of the population. And the vast majority of people are toiling for mere subsistence. You know, just I mean, I actually don't bread. necessarily disagree with that, um, and I'm much more 
sympathetic toward that than you might think, right? And like, so like I said, I mean, I support a UBI. I prefer that as, instead of our tax and spend welfare system because I, I, well, I mean, I guess to be clear, the reason I think that the UBI is a good example. The reason I think UBI is better than our current tax and spend welfare system is because it's not means tested. And so the means testing causes all kinds of problems, right? If your goal is to try to compromise with socialism, then you would prefer the means tested system because it me- because taking away substantial amounts of the income from the bourgeoisie is as much the point as redistributing it to the proletariat in the case of socialism. Whereas in UBI, human capitalism, the um, your dis- distribution of money would actually look more meritocratic, and yet you would still have a, a robust safety net and floor. What you said about like taking the money from the bourgeoisie is as much of a point as redistributing it to the needy. You're absolutely right. And that's something that I've been saying on three right turns, but not in a negative way. I absolutely do believe it's vital to the continuation of democracy to do something about the rise of this billionaire class before there. Yeah, but that's not the bourgeoisie. I mean, the bourgeoisie is like the middle class. So, so Marx was talking about how middle class people like small business owners and professionals were, you know, that, that they were part of the reason why the proletariat couldn't rise up because they were made too comfortable by the capitalist system. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm fine with taxing billionaires. Honestly, it pisses me off that Jeff Bezos pays a lower effective tax rate than I do. What I find morally outrageous is that when we do have incredibly wealthy people in society, and I suspect, you know, this is probably some consensus ground between us, it's a little bit fucked up that the burden of paying for the charity falls on the middle class. Uh, What do you mean by that? Well, I think taxes on the middle class are too high and taxes on the truly rich are too low. Okay, I, I agree with that because well, I thought you're saying like uh, charitable giving or something like that. Uh, no, no, I, I mean, I mean, like just the way that our system is set up because we tax work uh-huh. at a higher level than we do capital gains and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Working people pay a higher tax rate. I mean, the payroll tax is about as regressive as you could possibly be. Working poor people pay more in payroll tax than Jeff Bezos does as a percentage oh, yeah. of income. That's obscene. That's that's where like I also like. You know, our society is set up to where it's very, very hard to get to your first, you know, six figure job and save your first million dollars. But once you get there, you just take off. It's like escaping Earth's atmosphere. You know, suddenly the you, you're getting you're putting the same amount of thrust, but you're getting so much more velocity out of it because you've overcome this friction and resistance. And a lot of it is because like my accountant's the first one, like, you know, when we're starting a stupid podcasting business and we're talking about like, well, what should we pay ourselves salary? She's like, well, you want to keep your because, you know, it's obviously um, if we just open up the bald move till and the three and the uh, Swiss bold till and just pocket money out, that stuff is taxed at like 15 percent versus payroll tax, which has got the federal taxes and social security taxes and the payroll tax, all that stuff is added in. And the accountant says, well, you want to keep it about two to one, you know. Two, two part salary to one part dividend until you get to a salary that an IRS adjuster will look at and be like, oh, yeah, that's about right for, you know, a CEO of a company. You get into like the hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars and then you can take the rest of your money in dividends once you get to that point, because the the uh, IRS won't bat an eye because now you've you've successfully m- navigated from the bourgeoisie to the capitalist class and you can do whatever the fuck you want. I feel like that's kind of immoral. 
but it, it brings us back to the point of like, who is going to be making these arguments if not for the socialist labor wing of a democratic party? Who is well, going? I mean, I think I back I, 10 years ago, Rio and said, what do you think of UBI? It's the idea where we put all bunch of money. We pay a th- person a thousand dollars, regardless of what you'd probably be like, that's a bunch of bullshit, right? Like, uh, well, I, I mean, but, the very first time that I was introduced to it, I immediately liked it because of the way that it was done. Right. So in my conversation with the communist, one thing that one one difference between us that we found interesting was that we both support um, Andrew Yang's freedom dividend policy, which funds a UBI through a value added tax. But I asked him, let's say if instead of funding it through a value added tax, you funded it with fifty percent income tax on all income over fifty thousand dollars, would you still support it? And he said yes, and I said I would even vote for Donald Trump to stop that from happening. So it's not it's not I don't support UBI because I just want to get money to poor people anyway whatsoever. I support this specific UBI policy because I think it would actually be good for capitalism for many of the reasons you just said, right? More people will have income, they will spend it. Um in fact, people on lower on the income scale spend more of it, so that that would actually be a more effective way of um stimulating the economy. Uh, as opposed to trickle down, trickle up economics is is what we need right now. The supply side is plenty um, wealthy. It's the demand side that needs some stimulus, and it's just more fair to give everybody the same amount of money. Then it's a it's capitalism that starts at zero. It's not any less capitalist than if it start. You know, it's not any less capitalist if it starts at one thousand than zero. I mean, you collect two hundred dollars when you pass go in Monopoly, and that's the game of capitalism. So I, this, I guess this brings us back around because, you know, any kind of universal basic income is a form of market socialism, which is what I honestly, when I say I'm socialist curious, I really, really like to see in the next generation, the United States work to encourage more democratized workplaces through like co-ops and things that are more like socially democratic, like, you know, UBIs and safety nets, um, of, uh, some kind of guaranteed standard of healthcare, food and housing, um, and if we got there in 50 to 100 years, then, you know, we can see if we want to progress further. Um, well, I mean, I wouldn't consider it, I wouldn't consider it actual socialism out. unless you took away property rights. Right. As long, so like well, Yang's, not saying, Yang's not saying we should take away people's ability to own capital or that we should seize the means of production. He's saying let's do a value added tax at half, half the rate it's done in Europe. And let's use that to create a universal basic income, which is you know, going to help get people out of poverty, help people escape the welfare cliff, which is a crap. That's literally market socialism. And if you drive all the socialists out of your party, who is going like, because Andrew Yang did not propose this in a vacuum. Andrew Yang is coming up um, at these giant holes that we have in capitalism and our society as a whole and trying to figure out like, you know, how can I fix them within the bounds of socialism or I'm sorry, within the bounds of capitalism, which is what market socialists do too. market socialists say, you know what? Gee whiz, this whole market forces generates an, an immense amount of wealth and does a lot of things automatically that a command can, uh, uh, economy couldn't possibly do. Uh, so let's just use it. And let's use it to generate wealth, and let's divide it up to make society. Yeah, yeah. No, to let me to be clear, I don't, I don't oppose social liberalism, right? Mm-hmm. The compromise between liberalism and socialism. I oppose illiberal socialism, right? 
mm-hmm. um, which by definition is authoritarian because it, 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 that once you give up on the liberal part, that's the reason fascism is, is well, see, so terrifying. I'm, once you give up on the liberal part, you <laughs> have gone over the hump into, you know, like authoritarian mountain. But here's the thing. One of the core tenets of this liberalism that you're subscribing to, because I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I like liberalism. Um, and, uh, but, but one of the, 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 the problems is that one of the core foundations is that private property is sacrosanct. I'm having a very hard time finding people that can defend that from a first principles, uh, scenario, especially when you talk about the centuries of imperialism, um, and colonialism that it all was built on that. It's like super convenient that here in the 21st century, we're like, you know what? Private property is the one thing that we cannot do anything to limit. We cannot do anything to restrict. We can never take it away. We can restrict people's political freedom. We can restrict uh, people's military um, freedom by, you know, saying you can't own an aircraft carrier, et cetera. Um, they can't have a private stockpile of nuclear weapons. They can't accept in rare occasions by grenade launchers even. Um, but like private property, who boy, here in the 21st century, we've divided all this stuff appropriately and the world's divided appropriately. And if you weren't at the table and we did that, you just kind of missed out. I don't think that's going to survive contact with a world that's increasingly globally educated and aware of their own history. Like people are going to be like, what the fuck? There's no way that the wealth you guys made off of in the previous centuries you get just to keep like it's it's a recipe for a a global under a permanent global underclass well we could we could That's, certainly have a whole i mean yeah so aaron um if if yes you, i would love to get with this the first principle sometime on a, yeah. on a board for example yeah absolutely so that'll be one of the topics that we do a, a whole deep dive into and i do have what i think is a, a good defense of it although i mean you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that it'll It'll suffice for you. <laughs> but, but, but when I think of liberalism, like I like the things that I think will survive is, you know, um, respect of individuals, uh, liberty, um, freedom of uh, religious and political thought, uh, respect for democratic institutions that the people get a say in all forms of governance, um, which, you know, again, one of the rises of the people being socialist curious is the fact that. You know, we believe in democracy, but when it comes to like the boardrooms and the workplaces, get that shit out of there. Democracy works at like a at a a country level, at a state level, at a local level. But in a 50 person factory, it cannot possibly work. Get it out. of here. I definitely do not. I definitely do not oppose people voluntarily entering into co-op arrangements or communes or anything they want. All of those things are permitted under our system. I just don't want the government to force everybody to do it because I would consider I that. So what, what would you think of governments um, like freedom loving democracies like the United States, like other Western developed countries giving economic um, uh, breaks or incentives to um, corporations that have some sort of cooperative um, governance? That would certainly be preferable to just passing law, forcing them to turn into co-ops tomorrow. I mean, if only because I think that would have incredibly negative consequences for the economy in the short term, and I'm not sure it would recover. Um, But also because it would be a violation of individual liberty. All right. So it sounds like, Aaron, this is great because it sounds like you are indeed significantly to the left of Corey. I don't know if you're as far left as, well, I mean, you don't want to get to the next 10 years. Yeah. That's what the distinction I want to make. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if only because you're also more comfortable calling yourself socialist curious, whereas Corey's not, you know what I mean? Um, mm. And and so that's great, because I can talk to Corey about policy. He doesn't want to talk to me about political science or philosophy or economics. So you and I can talk about that. And I think that'll be great. Um, it's interesting, too, because, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that you're a tanky or a Stalinist or something, but um, I think that you're also more authoritarian than Chet. Um, although admittedly he is an anarchist, so it's really easy to be more authoritarian than him. You pretty yeah. much just have to support a state. So I'm also more authoritarian than Chet. <laughs> yeah. so why do you think, why do you think I'm more authoritarian? Because you're right. Like, yeah, I can't compete with an anarchist, like, you know, uh, or a minarchist, I guess would be because I, even anarchy doesn't mean what they think that what, what the, it says in the dictionary. But why, why would you say I'm more authoritarian? Because, again, I'm democratic and democratic socialist is important to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, well, because you believe in a state. <clears throat> OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then, right? yes. And so but then that's great because I want to make sure that this cast of of lefties I talk to on the podcast are dis- different from each other as well as different from me, because I think that'll result in um, but more. What a flipper wig if I say that. I do because, you know, as one of the premises of three right turns, the Star Trek Republicanism is I do think that if you're talking, if if the human species survives and is around a thousand years from now, we will probably look either like some Mad Max hellscape or we will look like some kind of Star Trek utopian, which is essentially communist. Um, So while I think we're nowhere near destroying and uh the distinctions of class and um border um and all those things like the ideals of socialism um you know that equality and fraternity um and that that will inevitably shape humans into one thing or the other and i would rather shoot for the star trek utopia than the mad max hellscape I mean, uh, I would definitely prefer if those were my only two options. I just don't believe that they're the only two options. But we can, well, like, again, we could have a whole other conversation just about that, too. Uh, yeah, I just think it, I guess may, maybe I should say I'd be bummed out if a thousand years from now I found out that my human descendants still had, you know, I don't know, 10 or 15 or 20 percent of the globe living and just crushing poverty. If like. 0.01% of the people controlled like 90% of the resources. It would, you know, it would really for this, for this to last another millennium. Um, it feels like that, you know, people, it, I, I, why would people, let me, let me see. Cause I ha- very rarely get to articulate these things. So thank you for letting me. Um, if you get in a situation where a thousand years from now, you've got 0.01% of the people controlling 90% of the resources then how in the world can you say that all the other things of liberalism, that people are equal and that people, you know, are individually valued and individual liberties are, are, are respected? How can those things be true if we are living in a world a thousand years from now where we have similar income and wealth disparities that we do now on planet Earth? Well, and again, like globally speaking, income inequality is at the lowest point it's, it's ever been as far as we know, based on historical data. So um, well, <clears throat> what we're actually witnessing right now, we'll have to get into like the sources and the claims because a lot of the stuff, when I look at those statements, they're broadly true. If you're comparing to like, you know, most of the world lived in, you know, f- some sort of feudalism and chattel slavery up until 300, you know, 250 
know, 150 years ago. Still, there's still that going on today, right? Well, no, but like in especially especially in the third world countries, um, the 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 you know billions of people have risen out of poverty just in the last few decades. I mean, it really globalism has been extremely good for them. Yes, I'm not disagreeing that when Rome conquers the the you know savages that they build roads and aqueducts and there's some standard of living improvement but i think that you still have billions of people in truly crushing poverty and and the people that have been lifted out of poverty like the way poverty is defined by the people throwing those statistics around it's like well if you make ten dollars a day you're not in poverty oh yeah i know i mean i'm not i'm not i'm not a pangloss i'm not saying that you know like that things couldn't be any better than they are. I support progress, right? right? I'm just worried about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And, and I think it's easier to break things than it is to fix them. Um, and the main issue that I have with most labor movements is almost by definition, they're led by the least educated and capable people in the world. Well, that's yes, it would be nice if the most educated, most resource uh, uh, people would lead this stuff and make things better. But too often they just hoard their shit and make things worse. Yeah, that's like, why we, we thank the flying time. spaghetti monster for Andrew Yang, brother. It's, it's one of the reasons why so many of the socialist revolutions in the 20th century failed is because they're a bunch of ignorant peasants trying to run a country. And yeah, they yeah. and it's, it's also the reason why they started killing all the smart um, libertarian Marxists. Not, and and yeah. Yeah, you're you're not you're not wrong. You're not wrong because this was supposed to arise out of everybody, you know, um, being educated and taken cared for, and be like, you know what, this is this this uh, this exploitation that we're doing on people is just gross, and we feel bad about it, and we'd rather live in a more equal society. Let's try this thing rather than it coming at the end, the, yeah. the point of a gun. So yeah, I'm I'm really confident that we're going to have genuine disagreements that'll be interesting and edifying for us and our listeners. And uh, that will also be able to come to all kinds of, of common ground and consensus but the thing, as well. The reason why I think that like one of, and this is why I'm glad we're getting into this in this introductory podcast is the thing that I see the, re- the, the real kind of disagreement of furballs that, that led up to what you, you know, you and Corey splitting is that you do a lot of these kind of drive by like, well, you know, it's, it's no one disputes that, uh, um, you know, capitalism has lifted billions of people out of uh, poverty, poverty globally, when that's like a three hour conversation before I would even agree to like, you know, and at the end of it, we'd probably be like, oh, okay, I see where you're sitting. And maybe you, it, 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 it's, it's more of like, it's, it's, it's because you said, you know, you're not opposed to progress, but it does sometimes come across like you don't want too much of it. You oh know. yeah, I mean, I mean, how, can I clarify that? <laughs> I just want us to finish this thought. It'll take me like fifteen Please. seconds. So you can go, but like you see tons of crazy people in the Republican Party, and they've been there for over a generation, and like no one really bats an eye because they're so persuasive. But we clearly see the quote unquote crazy ideologies that are starting to make inroads into the Democratic Party at the national level. And that's like a red alert emergency that we need to like really pump the brakes on. And I think maybe that's just the conservative background that you, you know, um, it's like uh, you get used to your own body odor and you don't smell it anymore. Like, you know, like all the like fascists and right and and white supremacists and, um, you know, slaver capitalist over on the conservative side it's like that's just a background noise but holy shit aoc comes on and like oh my god this is socialism with a capital s well Uh, i mean i i i'm i at this point um i 
I, I really feel more loyal to the Democratic Party than the Republican Party. I think that the Republican Party has been totally taken over by illiberal radicals. Um, who are the working class base of that party, by the way? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the reason the Republican Party is worse is because it's it has there's more influence from the least educated and capable people in that party. Uh, I mean, at this point, there's almost no real like uh, Milton Friedman style economic conservatives left in the GOP. I think we're pretty much all in the Democratic Party at this point. Yeah, it's which is why quickly to happen is moderate and you know not you know well educated liberal Republicans probably need to reform some conservative party and then let the Democrats become the left. Actually, what we need to do is reform our, our, the way we vote so we can have more than just two parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We, rank, we need ranked choice voting, ranked choice voting, preach on brother. We need that stuff. So then we can have like a fair and balanced party in the middle. You can have a capitalist party. Uh, you can have a capitalist party that's socially regressive. You can, you can have all those different things. You can force them to build coalitions and, you can vote your heart, all that kind of stuff. But for right now, I think what needs to happen is we need to cut the reasonable conservative economic people free to resist an actual progressive labor party. Um, because or, again, or, or, or maybe just or maybe right. maybe they can work together and create a consensus position that's actually stronger for it. And so that's so okay. Let's start talking about that because I think this would be a great way to like enter the third act, the heroic act of this podcast, where we can kind of f- figure out ways we can work together. Because I, I would like to get to your conversation with Corey at some point, if if possible. Oh, do you want to pivot to that? Because like where I want to go in the final analysis is like how can we work together? Because like what my theory is working with conservatives is. is I will work on specific policy that aligns, you know, like if you want to do criminal justice reform, you want to do UBI kind of stuff like that. But like these days of like, you know what, you give me these about these votes we need on abortion, then I'll give you a little bit of means checked uh, social policy that you can go back and tell your constituents that are not actually affected by it, that you tried to do something like that shit's got to go. So like, yeah, I'll work, uh, I'll support work, uh, um, I'll support liberals and leftists and progressives and conservatives working together on specific policy plans all day long where it makes sense. But like the tit for tat quid pro quo stuff, that's where it's like, I just, and I feel like this, I can already see it in the liberal centrist party of the Democrat, the the mind control wave (laughs) that the the Project uh, Lincoln people are putting out there. And they're apps like Corey and I are talking about those things are absolutely going to be reversed on the progressive wing of the Democratic Party as soon as Trump is out of power, because they're not going to just, you know, be like Cincinnatus and like, oh, well, we defeated the tyrant. So it's time to beat our swords into plowshares and just, uh, you know, go back to normal. They're going to do like you and look for the uh, the enemies of uh, I guess liberalism and start beating up on the socialists. So anyway, very <laughs> nice conversation. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different moving parts there. Part of it is also just branding. I think that the Democratic Party um, lately certainly has actually shown much more competence when it comes to governing. Um, they're much better at lowering deficits and balancing budgets. Um, I think Obama was a great center-right president, Um, but they suck at winning and taking power in the first place. And that's all about rhetoric and branding. And like it or not, in the United States, even in the 21st century, calling yourself a socialist isn't good branding. 
but that's the point. Like, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've pondered on the podcast. Like, well, well maybe- I don't mean your branding. I mean, like Bernie Sanders branding. I mean, he did lose the primary <laughs> twice. Yeah, because, you know, like uh, fascists are really good at that. Like, you know, they're not Nazis. They're neo-Nazis. They're not uh, white nationalists or white separatists. They're not, you know, they're identitarians. They're race realists. Like they, they come up with that shit every five years. Once it becomes radioactive, they just pivot. Yeah. You know? But again, like I, I think it's because like you can have something that you would call democratic socialism, right? Like you can see it. There's no democratic fascism. Right. Like those things are completely opposed to one another. Like you can have democratic fascism in that the people vote for fascism. And then once they do, the door to democracy is closed, where that's not necessarily true of socialism. It's not like one of its core tenets. No, I, I actually agree with that. Yes. Yeah, that's um, you're right. I mean, um, opposition to democracy is a defining feature of uh, fascism. Not all political scientists would agree with that, by the way, but I actually agree. I think that it, it defaults to being um, opposed to being explicitly anti-democratic. Um, socialists just agree to fight this fight. Like, you know what? We're going to, we're going to re redeem this. It's, this is not radioactive in any other part of the Western world. It's just this stupid thing about America and McCarthyism. So we're going to fight it. And I have mixed feelings about it, but you know, I mean, uh, it's not, it's not like it's, it's not like it's not also a problem in Europe. I mean, um, you know, Corbyn, um, is a socialist and he was walloped at the ballot box in the UK. Sure. Yeah, the liberals all banded up against it. But I, I should say well, and, that. And, and, and when push comes to shove, if they're forced to choose between fascism and socialism, liberals will choose fascism. That's part of the reason why I oppose socialism. That's what, that's what socialism, that's what socialists say too, yeah. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, they're not wrong about everything. They're just wrong about most things. No. <laughs> that was a low blow, sorry. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like that, like I should say, when I say, uh, I. Uh, English speaking Western democracies have a bug up their ass about socialism that's not in any other Western socialist country, or I guess Western country. Uh, um, there aren't really any Western that. socialist countries. I mean, there is no pure socialist countries in liberal democracies, and there's no pure oh, capitalist countries in liberal democracy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agreed. But, but, yeah. but the, the term socialist and like, you know, like uh, is, is really only kind of a slur in English speaking Western democracies. And probably all trickle down from the, the there, there's a little there's something to that there's something to that yeah i mean yeah. if okay yeah so there's there's that obviously another um conversation so it's good that we have so many different individual topics that we can we can do deep dives on and of course i'm not expecting you to just take my word for it about globalization being good for the global poor etc uh so yeah. we'll talk about all of that we'll talk about defending propertarianism etc um, but I do, we only have about 20 minutes left. Um, and I wanted to get to your conversation about Corey, cause I, I took a bunch of notes. Um, and this is partially like because that. I want to make sure that both my listeners, but also your listeners, um, hear my side of that. Sure. All right, great. So if you don't mind, I'm going to kind of steer the conversation just a little bit. Um, but please, you know, ask me follow up questions or anything you want at any time. I'll, fo I'll follow your lead, Fred Astaire. <laughs> Oh boy. Okay. Um, so it, it seems to me, I told Corey this in a, uh, a, a DM actually, it seems to me like he's gone from the denial isolation stage of grief after our breakup to the anger stage of grief. Um, mm -hmm. and I, that's totally understandable. Um, but also Corey's a, a very honorable, truthful person. He would never intentionally um, straw man anything that I've said. I think that there are some things that were just miscommunications. 
So okay. to clarify a few things, I'm not against Black Lives Matter. Um, I am against certain ideas that some people uh, espouse under that moniker. So I want to make a, 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 I think that's an important distinction. Specifically, um, Well, I mean, just to give you a very uh, evocative example, um, there was a video going around uh, Twitter with a w- white person standing at the front of a Black Lives Matter protest in Portland, holding a sign that said, no war, but class war. Uh-huh. I think that if you're a white person appropriating a movement against police brutality, which is being done by a racial demographic, which is which tends to vote more moderately within the Democratic Party, and you appropriate that for your socialist message, I think that's kind of shitty. I will agree because, like, I saw a lot of mind blowing shit. You know, like uh, well-meaning white people and fucked up bullshit. Name a more iconic duo. Uh, but like the one that really stuck out of my mind of like, what the fuck was this um, black only safe space that was being policed by white people, <laughs> um, which like we can get into the idea of safe spaces and how I think they're very important in, you know, certain places to have and maintain, especially if you're exploring new ideas or personal ideas and stuff. But like a public space only for black people is not what we're trying to shoot for when we're talking about safe spaces and equality and things like that. So like, I will agree, but I think what Corey was coming back is like what you originally said, it seemed like what's what spun you up was this tweet where there was like three or four black lives matters activists that are kind of seen as prominent leaders saying that they are avowed Marxists. Oh no, 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 That's not it. Okay, um, it's, I thought that's what exactly what you guys were like, what, what Corey retorted uh, on your the podcast I listened to where you guys were fighting because the, the pushback to that obviously is if you go back into the original um, civil rights uh, movement, a lot of those black leaders were socialists too. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't have anything against black people being socialist um okay. and not any more so than against white people being socialist. Right. <laughs> right. I have something against socialism. These white um, but, no, there, there is a trend that I think you would acknowledge. Um, and, and I'm not necessarily saying that this is all like, I mean, it's kind of an understandable political strategy. It's just one that I oppose. Right. But there is a trend um, on the, the, the left real left flank of the democratic party, the progressive wing, if you will, to co-op every movement, Um, and try to make it be about their economic agenda. So for example, the Green New Deal, right? You could solve climate change by just having a carbon fee and dividend. That's literally all you would have to do. And that would bring revenue into the government instead of bankrupting it. But but no, 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 they have to create all of these left-wing policies as part of that, right? And and, and what, what I find frustrating about that is as you know, the, the kind of conservative who recognizes climate change is real and that we definitely need to get a grip on it. That is just not productive because if they're, if they're saying we're not going to do anything about climate unless you sign on the dotted line of absolutely every far left economic agenda and this, that, that's just not going to happen. But why would why the hell would you have an economic agenda that pre negotiates with far right people in the senate and house is and like there's again you know you got left versus right you will find a reasonable center you have center versus right you will have a a, a steady march to so do do you not do you do not agree with that political strategy to ask for the moon and i mean i think it's fine for them to ask for it i also think it's fine for me to say 
that I think that co-opting a, a movement that has nothing to do with economics and making it all about your economic agenda is kind of lame. I mean, I, I have personal experience with that because I do um, nonprofit work in LGBT spaces, and it's infuriating to me. You will doubt, you will see people say things like, um, "You're not, you don't really support LGBT rights unless you're a socialist." And it's because of this absurd concept of intersectionality and identity politics. And you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm a very, I'm a very uh, indip- individualistic person, right? I don't appreciate people speaking for, on my behalf. I think it's fucked up. Class reductionism is really stupid because if you solve the class problems, you would still have issues with race and gender and sexuality. And it's it's beyond stupid. And I will fight every leftist that wants to make everything about class. Well, we agree then. So I just wanted to clarify. I don't want people thinking but, but, that I, that but, I oppose BLM because I, 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 I support it. But you also did a drive by intersectionality which is something that is foundational to understanding so much about society today. Which- yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a perspective that's worth uh, um, considering, right? But it, taken to its extreme, you know, to say that you're, you know, for example, you can't really be a feminist unless you're also a socialist or you can't, you know, that sort of thing I think is, is ridiculous. No, it's stupid. I mean, yeah. I didn't have a point here or there, but like broadly speaking, no, that's, that's dumb. But yeah, totally. also, also hard to find those types in, elected office and statewide policies, let alone nationally. And yet, you know, we're also under fight of our lives against, you know, proto-fascism here in America. And that's where I think like Corey and I get frustrated with the, you know, like, like, I don't know where you're seeing these guys, these people were like, uh, if you're doing some kind of um, broadly speaking, left wing social movement uh, fundraising, you probably do have to suffer a lot of these fools. But they're not winning elected office. They're not shaping like the political thought that goes on in Washington. And that's not to say that like you sleep at the switch for 30, 40, 50 years and you don't get that or a, a big danger in your party. In fact, I've said this on the podcast. I expect as an 80 year old man to be fighting like hell against whatever fucked up what weird mutant thing the Democratic Party has become. Uh, between now and then, especially if we're stuck in this two-party uh, system for much longer. But oh like, yeah, yeah. The team sport thinking just, is, yeah, team sport thinking is is truly stupid. Um, and you know that's that's how people will continue to say, you know, that um, Democrats um are the racist party because you know um you know because because. <laughs> GOP was the party of Lincoln. I mean, if you right. if you want evidence of a of, of the fact that you know a party can keep its name, but do a total one eighty on its value system, just look at how the party of Lincoln in a few short generations really um, has turned into the Confederacy of Dunces. No, and that's what I'm saying. Like, so, like, as long as we're in this two party system, party realignment is—it's happened seven times in the United States. It's going to continue to happen, and I will be will be due for one about the time I'm in my doddering diaper age. So, like, I, I expect to be an angry old man, just like I'm an angry middle aged man um, at what's going on in the country, unless we get that fixed. But again, like I said, like, there's so many things that I want to agree with you on Rio, but then you got to add the extra rat a tat hat on like intersectionality, and I think that's. This pod- podcast to me might be tedious because I-, I said this on the first podcast I did with you that like when I'm listening to moving forward, you guys start to have a really interesting disagreement. And then as Corey kind of works himself up to the fight, you're just like, shh, UBI, UBI, but brother, shh, UBI. And like, that's fine because that's the things where we can strategically 
you know, work together on policy, specific policy. But like, yeah, I kind of want to fight you. Um, oh, yeah, no, I, I want to get into those. I want to get into those that, discussions, you know? too. I mean, to yeah. be honest, I think Corey had um, rather low tolerance for the, that kind of that kind of discussion. Well, I, I mean, I know he does because he said it right. He doesn't want to talk about political science or philosophy or rhetoric or strategy. He just wants to talk about policy. And, and you know, I, I respect that. I'm not going to force him to talk about something he doesn't want to talk about. And so I'm glad I have other people like you to talk about with okay. so yeah to clarify um it's the the and we can we we can um get into a whole big detailed conversation about intersectionality and so forth i was just trying to make a point that you know i just it, it, it kind of reminds me of when i in the republican party um people would say that if you don't agree completely with absolutely everything donald trump said then you're a rhino right and mm-hmm. that's that's kind of how it feels sometimes when i'm dealing with progressives and they seem to say like if you say anything that's even slightly critical of anything having to do with the black lives matter movement then you're automatically like totally opposed to black lives matter and a racist and i just i think that's that's not conducive to productive conversation i agree but then man like i'm i'm not gonna you you surely read you know, Martin Luther King's letter to uh, moderate, you know, centrist was a moderate white people from a Birmingham jail. Yeah. And I don't think he was a perfect person or a saint. I disagree with him about a lot of things. He was also a very good man who did a lot of good. Like people are complex. You You know, we we don't deify human beings, though. Do you, you don't think that he had some kind of insight that like during a big part of political, like a big movement of political change is broadly speaking for the good? Because, again, you know, you look at the political cartoons from the 1960s. It's the same shit like political cartoonists, right? Martin Luther King coming to town. It's like, are you looking forward to another day of peaceful protest? And he's standing in front of this city that's on fire and there's people lying beaten in the streets and like, yep, it's going to be another great day of nonviolence. Yeah, no, I mean, it infuriates me when the fascist all right. But you have to look like pretty, that. But, but I feel like you have to look pretty hard to find these, you know, uh milk toast white college educated uh doofuses and you know trying to hijack the um the, the Black Lives Matter movement when in the city that I live in for example, those have been these are being led by black people and you look at uh the the protests around the nation it seems like they're mostly centered around the black cause and you know, like it, from the mainstream media, like it's not it's it'd be one thing of like CNN was like giving these people all the microphones. Tell us well, more. about. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally I totally agree. I totally agree. But I mean, like if if you look, if you look, if you listen to the actual conversation that kind of started the argument, um, it's called alt left versus alt right. And um, I'm honestly surprised that it upset Corey as much as it did. I think that he is um, he's on a short fuse right now, like a lot of us are, because, um, you know, the world is a scary place right now. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, like I, I wasn't critic. I never, I never critiqued the BLM movement. I critiqued certain strategies. Like for example, I think using the defund the police slogan is not wise I think it's bad branding because it sounds more radical than what they're actually proposing policy wise. Yeah, but like, okay, here, okay, so let's stop here. Um, the problem with that is, I agree. Actually, I thought defund the police was a was was really stupid. But then so I does saw fifty nine percent of black people in America. But I saw polling that like when people ask what defund the police means, something like seventy five percent of the people could articulate what the actual broad thing is, which is you know that's astounding. I don't even think seventy five percent of Americans could name the vice president if asked. Right, um, but so I'm like, 
it's weird that we got preemptively worried about the branding of something that most people intuitive have figured out because it was well reported and actually was really, you know, like this is one of the rare moments in mainstream media where like the actual crux of a problem was discussed. And it wasn't just like, oh, reactionary A, what do you think about this reactionary B? It's like, you know, people ask, defund the police. What the hell? You need police. And people are like, OK, well, what we really mean is taking away from the war on drugs and poverty and some of the militarized aspects of the police and devoting that to social services to make the underlying crime less of a problem. So police yeah, officers. Yeah. Maintain yeah. And I also agree that the police union is a real problem. And, and you know, sure. I mean, unions can be a pain in the ass sometimes. They sure can, especially when they're backed with the monopoly of state force. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So that would be another example of uh, of why I think that business and, and the state need to be kept separate. Although, of course, in the case of the police, I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not one of the. I'm definitely not someone who wants to privatize police force. That'd be a terrifying idea. But yes, I I, I think I think that when they're when they're primarily motivated about say, by saving their jobs, um, then then they're just kind of in the way. But that's why I think Corey and even I get upset when people like to critique the Black Lives Black Lives Movement on the margins because those your what you, your legit criticisms become amplified and turn into like serious problems within the Black Lives community when it's reported and like it gives cover to people, you know, because like uh, honestly, a bunch of racists just parrot that stuff. Like, for example, I used to be super homophobic. I would never admit to it back when I was, you know, a fundamentalist Christian. I would never admit to being homophobic because I didn't hate black people. I didn't hate I didn't hate homosexual people. I didn't hate gay people. I didn't hate lesbians. I just didn't want them to get married and adopt children because, boy, you know, just, boy, you, you, just, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, and then I hear a smart, uh, you know, someone who's read a paper to stand up and say, well, you know, there's the, if you look at the social economic statuses of families that have a, 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 a mom and a dad, then there are clear social advantages to that. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I don't want gay people to adopt because there's clear social advantages to people that have both a mother and father. Turns out a lot of the studies, it's more about having two people providing for a child. It could be a mom and a mom and a dad or a dad or a grandparent and an uncle, whatever. It's like having those two resources to a child more than yeah, and in fact, gay, gay men, gay men on average are actually more affluent than heterosexual couples, and right. their children actually but, do better educationally. But that what about gave my ignorant ass intellectual cover for uh, homophobia? And I just like I think your valid but kind of minor and fringe critiques of the Black Lives Movement movement give intellectual cover to actual race. Well, I, I mean that is uh, that is something that you could say. Um, I I think that the left, um, by which I in this case I mean the Democratic Party, the American left, so to speak. Um, even though they are to the right of the Republican Party on some issues nowadays, like trade and foreign policy. The Democratic Party, and especially the progressive left wing of the Democratic Party, um, are just really, really bad at political strategy and branding and rhetoric and marketing, right? I mean, it just like, you know, it makes sense that people who believe in capitalism and are good at capitalism are going to be better at marketing. And so that's just a, that's a, um, a disadvantage that they have that they would do well to reflect upon. Um, so like I said, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I haven't seen that poll about 70% of people, um, knowing what was meant by defund the police, yeah, but if that's the case, <laughs> then it's even yeah. doubly damning that 59% of black folks in a, in another poll 
said they oppose defund the police, right? Now, of course, these numbers are going to move fast because it's a brand new movement and the, the right. support of it might go up. But I mean, I think that there should be room for having nuanced conversation about these issues without people shutting it down by shouting you down and telling you that you're not allowed to talk about this. You're not allowed. That's part of what I, that's part of what I dislike about the whole identity politics thing. It's this idea that, you know, if you're a cis white man, your opinion counts for shit because all of your lived experiences are part of the oppressive class and therefore you're not really allowed to have an opinion on anything and i think that when when people behave that way that alienates liberals from the party and that is going to push them into the hands of fascists and i don't want fascism to win so i would like that to stop please but i think that you could also you're okay um if you had a friend that was kind of dim but big-hearted and industrious and love this family and you let every conversation with boy my friend is just stupid i think i mean upset (laughs) because because like i feel like in these cases you're saying accurate things about it but like if a person uh like like if you're going to critique black lives matter you should do it from a perspective where people understand that there's many many good things about it yeah no i see what you're saying that's that that is actually that is actually a mistake that i made and and part of the reason that happened is because i i actually wasn't setting out to critique that i was trying to talk about i issues that are maybe tangentially related to aspects of the black lives matter movement and Corey was taking it back to black lives matter probably because when he hears people talking about those issues it's in the context of folks who oppose black lives matter um you know sam harris has an interesting point where he says that if um liberals won't stand up for their own values if liberals for example will will characterize any any nuanced critique of islam as a religion as islamophobic then what happens is people who are worried about those genuine problems in that culture um, are, are, are going to be pushed into the hands of the alt-right because they're the only people who are talking about it, right? I think that, I think that it's important think it's- for liberals to defend their own values against the radicals in their party. I think that's an, an important part of any conversation. I have a lot of problems with Sam Harris. It probably won't surprise you. But like, I feel like that the, the onus is on Sam Harris to choose as, as the academic to choose his words carefully and make sure people understand what the hell he means rather than like, I don't know why people think I'm an Islamophobe when I spend the vast majority of my time criticizing, you know, Muslims in Islamic countries. Like he doesn't anymore. I mean, it's just that his first book was on that topic. Eh, Most of his podcasts have nothing to do with Islam. Sure. But when you, when you spend a good five years going on a talk show circuit, you know, being the guy who's like, why does anyone else think that Western democracies just aren't worried about Islam (laughs) fighting a global war against Islamic terrorists? Like it's, it's, I, man, I feel like this is like self-aware wolves. You're so close to understanding what Corey and I are talking about because like, it was kind of wacky to have people like that saying like, you know what, why we're bombing the shit out of these countries and putting sanctions on them and, you know, burning their mosques. We really aren't being tough enough against Muslims. Yeah, that comes across a little Islamic phobic and for moderate and liberal Muslims, it must have made them pull their fucking hair out. Well, I mean, yes, I definitely I definitely prefer liberal Muslims and I definitely prefer liberal Christians. Um, But, you know, um, what I find uh, hypocritical is when people oppose the Christian right. Right. And they will tolerate any kind of criticism of fundamentalist Christianity. Uh, 
but you can't have the same kind of conversation about the problems in Islam, which which as a religion hasn't really had a proper reformation yet. And if you if you look at um, if you look at Muslims in the UK, for example, the percentage of them we're talking in the UK, we're talking about British citizens, the percentage uh-huh. of them who hold deeply illiberal beliefs, like that, for example, gay people should be killed is appallingly high. And I think that's a social problem worth addressing. Okay. But what percentage of those people are first-generation immigrants? Because what we've seen in this country is immigrants come in with all kinds of ways of thinking, and that second generation or less so, third generation or less so, fourth generation, if you got a, a, a beige skin color, you essentially pass for American. Yeah, so that's, like, a good, that's a good point. I mean, so it, like it, it definitely, it definitely says something about religion. I mean, it definitely says something about religion, right? Um, that uh, it's apparently so weak that it can't survive interacting with secular society. And and I bet that if you brought in a first-generation Russian immigrant that thinks that all gay people should be beat to to bloody piss in the streets if you catch them like just kissing like i bet that they would be a disturbing demographic that's that's true but then there's also just theological debates about about like the meanings of ancient texts and i I think that i think that the the trend of liberal apologists within a religion to totally um deny that there's anything problematic in their text is deeply dishonest but but here's the thing the reason I get upset with fundamentalist Christians in this country and I don't give two fucks about fundamentalist, fundamentalist Muslims is because, honestly, the moderate and liberal Muslims do a pretty good job of muzzling the conservative ones over here. Um, but we have fundamentalist Christians at the highest level of offices actively fucking up our democracy. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I agree. I agree yes, that within I the U.S. political better. spectrum, Christianity is a bigger problem. But that's that's why I don't understand we why don't actually have very much very much immigration from Islam from Muslim countries. In the UK, so it's a different does, it's a different ballgame. So why does Sam Harris get to sit here and be like, "Ooh, woo, I don't understand why everybody's worked up about fundamentalist Christians, but they don't care about fundamentalist Muslims when we're talking about English speaking Western democracies?" Well, like, again, like I said, in the UK, it's a bigger problem. But also, but it, also, uh, also, 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 we we have to start wrapping up. Of course, um, yes. I didn't mean for this. to I thought that was just going to be a quick throwaway example. I didn't mean for it to become a big conversation. But that's okay. We've got well, lots of the moving the future of moving forward. Yeah, with me. We've got lots to talk about. Um, but just 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 to be just to be clear, part of what um, he was responding to was um, people going on television and claiming that the reason we were attacked on nine eleven is because the U.S. is an evil imperialist country. Um, and it wasn't why we were attacked. We were attacked because there were Islamic theocrats who want to kill us for being infidels. And I think that that is, um, uh, that is something, wor- that's something worth understanding, like, because that, it, that informs the way you deal with that problem. But that's what I'm saying. That's the Sam Harris two-step. Yes, you're right, Rio. But why are there Muslim theocrats that have taken over those countries? And that is where the Western imperialism raises its ugly head. No, like yeah, no. I mean, I mean, there's there. I, 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 and trained well, them. I mean, uh, to, to be to be clear, to be clear, um, I'm much more hawkish on foreign policy than probably any of the uh, progressives who are going to be, um, you know, uh, guest starring on moving forward. Um, so I'm prepared to defend um, a uh, neoconservative foreign policy, um, but. 
that doesn't mean that we haven't had missteps or certainly that the, the, the British empire didn't have missteps. I mean, we did all kinds of horrible human rights abuses, et cetera. I think that like you can oppose the way something is done and still support the overall vision. I just think you can definitely, there's two ways to look at it. Like, yes, like the reason these guys, you know, crashed into our towers was not because of broadly speaking, their specific concerns with colonialism and imperialism, but the conditions that caused them, uh, you know, to, to have those views and have those views, um, that are widely accepted in those, those communities is because of the legacy of imperialism. Well, it's not, I mean, it's, it's not 100% because of that, but that was, there was a contributing uh, factor, but that doesn't mean that we deserve to be attacked. Like some crazy people on the far left said, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, not everybody in America, I, I would venture to say most moderate like Democrats or even just most Democrats, right? They just aren't going to sign on for, you know, the radical lefts like shitting on America all the time. Well, no, not if people like yourself and Sam Harris are giving the bullhorn. But if you give people like myself the bullhorn and be like, whoa, 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 let's take this another couple steps. If you actually educate and explain and and someone with a leftist platform be given the billions of dollars it's giving to Fox and Sinclair and one American news network, you would start to see those opinions shift. Absolutely. Well, if people you stopped opposing, if, if people stopped opposing capitalism, then capitalists might be more willing to fund you. Well, but that's the, <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm just saying like, that is a, these are, these are, these are, these are issues that the left really needs to grapple with because you know it, it, if it's all just about virtue signaling and being right and not actually about achieving anything in real life, then that strategy should continue. But if they want to actually influence policy and reality, they need to get their shit together. I think that we are just a generation or two away from billionaires, as a, a significant number of them buying into socialist thought, and then we'll start to see change because there's there's got to be people out there that's um, like. If you define socialism so broadly that includes Yang's freedom dividend policy, then I would welcome that. But that's a semantic discussion that we 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 can have in the future. Um, but anyway, yeah, just scratch the surface. There'll be more more. Uh, but here's the thing: is like. I like people that I can get in 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 really um, intense disagreements with and not get things like you know nasty name calling and stuff like that. And I feel like I can do that with you. And same way, but on the other side, I do think that um, you know, and if you call me on my bullshit, you know, I'll be like, oh yeah, that was bullshit. Um, I've read into it, and actually, I was wrong. Uh, and I think vice versa. And I and like I said, I, I think that you're a person of good faith which is important. Yeah. And I, I believe that about you and everybody else who I've asked to participate this. And, and, and I certainly believe that about Corey. I think Corey might not believe that about me anymore. I don't know. But like I said, he's in the anger stage of grief. So, um, he'll move on eventually. Well, I just think it's that, that, that um, uh, I don't know. Um, like I said, I, I don't think that you're, uh, I don't think you're an evil person. Obviously it's just more of like, you're not aware of how because I, I did listen to I didn't listen to the whole thing, but I listened to the parts that I thought were concerning to Corey. And like we because we've been, you know, Corey and I, I'll say I've been studying some of these issues and are not, you know, for for going on 10 years. We're talking about that's kind of when I started um, really taking seriously some of the intersectional arguments about race and gender in this country. Like you just unless you have been participating on that side like you don't hear so well, i mean my, my wife has a master's degree in critical theory from the usc school of cinematic arts 
Um, I was, I have 10 years of college education under my belt. I, I, I understand that stuff better than the average person. Okay. Well then that's, I guess. Sometimes people oppose it. Sometimes people oppose it, not just because they don't understand it, but because they do understand it. But it's weird because I feel like you, I don't know, I, I, I got to go, but I feel like this is the frustration, I guess, is like, I felt like I made some inroads with like explaining why Sam Harris could be seen as Islamophobic, even though he himself is not literally hating Muslim people. But then we get to the end of the conversation and it's like, no, none of this really sank in. No, I mean, I, I think it did sink in. I, I, I take your point about the fact that Sam Harris has, you know, if he was a politician, right? then he um, would be guilty of the same problem of bad branding that I've been talking about with uh, the political left in this country, right? He clearly has not made an effort to make his ideas bumper sticker friendly so that uh, people who just hear something that Glenn Greenwald say but don't actually read his book can come away with a misperception. But that's not the role he's playing. He's not a politician. He's just a guy having conversations and people who don't want to listen to them don't have to. But he has, but that that's the thing is that he has a massive platform asking these basic one-on-one questions and rhetorically saying, and no one wants to talk about this when there's tons and tons of people like, no, no, actually, Sam, we have a satisfying answer for your moral concern if someone could just like pass us the microphone. Because honestly, you know, the fact, you know, like what? Why do people hate on Christians so much in this country and not on Muslims? Because we're a Christian nation, you know, not structurally or institutionally or by law, but by culture and tradition. And yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree practice. with that. But I'm just saying, like, I mean, so, you know, I'm a person who likes to talk about ideas, right? I find it really interesting. I think ideas are the most interesting thing in the universe. Um, they're what I, I spend my time thinking about. They're what I want to talk about. Um, and I, I, I just, I just, I, I think that there is a, a, a tendency, um, and this is, this is a neo-Marxist, um, thing, um, to say that, um, you know, all, everything is culturally constructed and that all that really matters is whether or not it's the lived experience of an oppressed person or an oppressor. And if it's an oppressor, they're supposed to check their privilege. And if it's an oppressed person, you're not allowed to question what they're saying. And that is the opposite of crazy. rational debate. That's crazy. Huh? Huh? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, that's what critic, that's what modern critical theory does, you know, like the kind of critical theory that my, my wife studied is more like uh, film criticism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a, of the academic sort, not the popular kind. So why do you think if we've had 200 years of considering only one opinion in society, that it's not rational for the dawn of this new, like, hey, you know, what is this actually good or bad to actually tell those people who have had the platforms, who have written the books, who have divided the countries, who have divided the wealth amongst themselves to like, you know what, sit down and shut up and let's listen to these other people talk. You know, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm a free speech absolutist or as close to one as you can get. Um, you know, the U.S. has um, more robust protections of free speech than pretty much any other country in the world. And I support them. I think that those people have every right to talk, just like I think Nazis have every right to talk. But Americans kill Nazis. We aren't Nazis, you know, like so they can talk and there are going to be social consequences of that. Well, that's what I'm saying. But like you, it's it's like, and the thing is, is like they're they're saying that, but they're it's it's not like they're making it illegal. They're just asking people, like, hey, we're defining polite discourse now to say that we are going to give extra consideration to the voices of indigenous people and minorities at the expense of people in the majority. Because yeah, they- yeah. But if that if that was the extent of the claim they're making, um, that would be one thing. But we're actually talking about a. 
um, an explicitly anti-rational and anti-scientific epistemology. Uh, I disagree, but as you say, we're, we're, we're out of time. Maybe yeah, we can. Yeah. Well, I mean, that could be another whole conversation as well. Yeah. But like, I mean, that, that's, that, that's the thing though, right? Is I, you know, I, I grant you like the, as we decided, as we decided in the alt-right versus alt-left conversation, we all agreed that right now the alt-right is a bigger threat, but that doesn't mean that it's not interesting to talk about the alt-left. And, and I think it's very informative to think about the ways the alt-left and the alt-right are similar to one another. And one thing they have in common is that they're both ho- they're both hostile to liberalism, for example. One thing that's dissimilar is that uh, the alt-left is a label created by conservatives and fostered on the, the, the leftist, and the alt-right is a label that they created themselves to kind of rebrand oh, themselves. Oh, yeah, no, I'm fine. I'm, honestly, to, to, be, to, be, to be frank, um, I, I, I prefer to use the global terms, and I reserve the term left for actual socialism. Um, so I, I, I would not, um, I would not consider the vast majority of Democrats to even be left. I'm comfortable just saying left, but casually throwing a bomb at, uh, like alt left at the end of a podcast is the kind of shit that gets you in trouble. Rio. I think it's kind of like me saying like, okay, well, including, uh, enclosing, uh, you know, real Republican is a, uh, is an imperialist, that uh, wants to keep his money at the expense of all the brown babies. Good night, everybody. You know, it's like that's uh, that's not a, a neutral term. I mean, it wasn't an ad hominem against you, so there's an important distinction there. I, it's more like I'm it's more like I'm an imperialist who wants to keep his money, and I'm uh, color. I prefer. I think society should be colorblind. <laughs> yeah. No. I. <laughs> As I was saying, like, yeah, what can I actually say that would would be, uh, you know, and, and like, because that's the thing. Like, I feel like that's the thing the right has or the conservatives have. They, they maybe you're right about this branding. You do have the stuff that um, kind of dog whistles and gets under the skin a lot better than we do, for sure. Um, okay. Yeah. I don't, I actually don't necessarily mean it that way. Um, and, and one thing that's really cool about the moving forward podcast is that a lot of people listen to every single episode. Um, and I guess that results in me being a little bit less careful about absolutely every single statement that I make. I mean, it would be really hard to have a broad ranging conversation like the one we just had if I had to spend an hour explaining what I mean by every single term that I use, right? So what I would prefer to do is to say like, yeah, let's put a pin in that and we'll have a more deep dive about that in another episode. Mm -hmm. I just think we should look because I try very because I come from a very conservative background, um, not just fiscally, but but socially. And I try to engage in discourse defensively against that sometimes it gets me in trouble on the left because i try to like explain you know um you you can get in trouble just by trying to say people you know like trying to draw distinction between people who are structurally racist and actually racist you know um you can get in trouble in in some segments of the left just trying to make that distinction yeah no Uh, that's that's true um and uh yeah but i well there's 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 a lot of different things going on and 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 we don't you know we need to wrap up so we'll get into it but yeah no i i mean i agree with that i i don't i don't think that any movement or coalition is cohesive there are there's going to be misunderstandings and disagreements um even among people on the left or the right um Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's why we need to do deep dives because I, I would I would love nothing more than to you know have a whole hour long conversation with you just about property rights or just about intersectionality. I would. That would be fucking awesome. 
Um, or actually what I, what, what needs to happen is we have the introductory conversation. Then we go back to our corners, research everybody else's claims and then come back and synthesize that and do that again and again until we come at that something that's approximate approximates truth. Well, if you want to research my claims about, uh, Capitalism and the Enlightenment, um, definitely recommend Pinker's book, Enlightenment Now. I think that oh, yeah, I'm I suggesting it. I mean, obviously, you know, you you'll you'll want to uh to look into other perspectives as well, but I'm suggesting it because I just think it's the it's the 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 the, the book I've read that offers the most compelling hard evidence for that position. Well, hey, if it's uh I mean if it's foundational to your some of your political thoughts, sounds like I should read it no matter what I think of it. Because uh, well, you're, yeah, you're going to be reading a lot of books because you know, and I'm, as as with your case, I'm sure you know there's a, a library full of books that I would need to read to understand your perspective fully. Sure, sure, and like lived experiences, all that kind of stuff. Well, hey, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, you know, I, I thought this it makes a really good counterpoint to uh, Corey's participation, and I really look forward to uh, getting into it with you on moving forward because, uh, um. I, yeah, it, I, I think that's what, what needs to happen. Like we're living through another one of these political realignments. And, you know, as, as I always say on the, po- the podcast, I'm really shooting towards the Star Trek utopia and away from the Mad Max dystopia. And I think we're aligned on that. And I think we can do a lot of good together for a, for a long time until we get to the places where we might have to part ways. Um, yeah, no, I suspect we have more in common than not. I think that's true about most people. Um, that's part of what's dangerous about, um, you know, tribal labels is, you know, when people start identifying as a conservative or a progressive, they feel like they, they have to agree with everything every other conservative says or everything every other progressive says. I prefer the framing of, you know, everybody is a little bit of both at least. And we just maybe are, you know, some of us are a little more toward one side than the other. But most of us admit that there's something about society that we should conserve. And most of us would admit that there are things about society that we could stand to improve. All right. I think that's the podcast. All right. Thanks for having me on, Aaron. That was great. Hi, I'm Aaron from the Three Right Turns podcast, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Moving Forward. I consistently preach that these kinds of difficult but ultimately productive conversations are the ones we need to be having now more than ever. If you think discussions like this have value, I encourage you to visit movingforwardpod.com where you can find links to the show's Patreon. Support from listeners like you funds ways to advertise and grow Moving Forward's audience so more people can hear these crucial conversations.